I would like to present to you a special lens, a lens which can help explore interesting insights about crisis management, inclusive innovation, and transformational leadership. Who do you think owns this lens? Believe it or not, it lies with those who have a special ability, more commonly classified as a disability. Winning Side, a series of dialogues about winning themes, such as diversity and inclusion, creating social impact, and leading change. Today, at the Winning Side Suite, we have a special dialogue aimed at disentangling the less focused D embedded in diversity. It is disability. Our candid dialogue is titled Ability or Disability and Innovation. This is your host, Sarah Hassan, and as always, I'm here with two very inspiring guests. But before I move on to introducing my guests, let me share a disclaimer. I say disclaimer because the topic we are touching on today is very sensitive and needs much more dialogues before we even come to any conclusions. So here's the thing, please be mindful that this conversation is based on the guests and the host's personal observations, understandings and reflections. This is an area that we are advocating while simultaneously educating ourselves with its multiple diverse dimension. I call today's dialogue special for a reason. It hits home. It resonates personally. I often introduce myself with a particular credentials which are more relevant to the talk. I never feel the need to share that I have juvenile arthritis. Today, I feel the need. And the only reason I share is in the hope that it'll help another Sarah. It will help celebrate differences. It will help ask the right questions and facilitate inclusive innovation. At a personal level, I feel the need to evolve and adapt daily to suit my day needs. Interestingly, I feel we are blessed to vision our own self through the lens of our own perception. What I mean to say is that I or you do not get to see your own real self as there is no mirror image feature in our sight. Hence, while to others, one's special ability seems a struggle, to the one struggling, the sounds and sights, rather, can be very different. Last December, I met Christiana. She was delivering a speech on leadership and resilience at Cambridge University. Now, not discounting at all her amazing credentials that I'll talk about shortly. What was truly inspiring was how wonderfully she narrated the case of transformational leadership. Without giving away much, as Christiana Kemisori is going to join us today at the Winning Side Suite, I'd like to share that it was admirable how she coped with her personal challenges by pulling the strings from her professional expertise, be it leveraging from her networks, asking the right asks, or depicting resilience. Interestingly, it helped me draw the flipped analogy as I exhibit similar characteristics in my professional journey by drawing on the expertise from my daily arthritic learnings, such as perseverance, adaptability, and innovative approach. 
conscious to not discount the challenge and struggle with disabilities. In my personal experience, I perceive the key facet of disability is that of an innovation stimulus. And so our two guests today are perfect candidates to discuss just that. I'd like to welcome Christiana Kamsuri and Zoe Jones. Hello and a virtual clap. Christiana is, as she very nicely puts it, a mother, a founder, and a board advisor. She's passionate about making the future of work more inclusive and campaigns to help the underrepresented groups at, get into the tech, tech sector. She opened the London Stock Exchange in 2016 and has spoken at multiple forums, including 10 Downing Street, Cambridge Judge Business School, and House of Commons in 2020. Christiana currently advises YSYS and CAPTA, mentors at the London Business School and at the University of Arts London. She co-founded Silicon Milk Roundabout, the tech industry's event organization forum that helps unite those who are shaping Britain's digital future. So welcome, Christiana. Great to meet you. I would like to introduce Zoe Jones. Zoe is a program lead, equality, diversity, and inclusion at Innovate UK. She helps develop and deliver targeted equality, diversity, and inclusion, something that we will call as EDI in the podcast ahead. So she helps deliver these targeted EDI programs to tackle underrepresentation in business innovation and works with teams across Innovate UK to embed EDI. Innovate UK works with people, companies, and partners with organizations to find and drive the science and technology innovations that will grow the UK economy, delivering productivity, new jobs, and exports. So welcome on board, Zoe. Hello. Thanks, Sarah. How are you both doing today? Really good, thanks. Very good, thank you. Big thank you for joining us. Both of you are making waves in your own individual unique way. Christiana, we'd love to hear more about your personal journey as an advocate of inclusiveness, as an entrepreneur, and a lot more. It's, it's an interesting one to kind of talk about this openly because I don't really talk about it that much. I suppose things have changed a lot for me over the last decade. Three years ago, so in 2017, I broke my back actually in labour with my son. And I had an operation to try and fix it, but I fractured again. So I suppose at that time, I'd gone from being a serial co-founder and CCO of an amazing scale-up to being unable to move, staring at the ceiling, in excruciating pain and I was told by a doctor that I'd never walk properly again well at that time the prognosis was pretty bleak and I remember the doctors by their own admission had never seen really anything like my case the most bizarre thing happened to me really when I was told this news everyone was in shock my family were in shock my husband was in shock I think I was kind of in shock but in that moment as soon as the doctors left the room I kind of had this sudden urge of energy and my kind of entrepreneurial spirit, I suppose training from years of growing startups kicked in. And I just started to email and set up WhatsApp groups to tell my story briefly and to ask for help because my uh, condition was so rare. Nobody really knew much about it. And I reached out to all my mentors, friends, colleagues, startup founders from my Silicon Roundabout days And there were hundreds of areas of research that came in, acts of kindness, intros to specialists. The response was like absolutely immense. And I used a family WhatsApp group to report important actions. And it it really felt like a startup. It was absolutely mad. 
and I was absolutely determined to walk again. And a real turning point came when Haruki Takuchi from Go Cardless and his friend Justin Levine, who's a Paralympian, they put me onto an amazing hospital called the Royal National Orthopaedic, where I found this incredible man called Dr. Keane, who's an amazing bone specialist. And with my husband's help, I wrote an email to his secretary with a full case history. And he called me within 20 minutes of me pressing send. And for an NHS hospital, I mean, it was just jaw-dropping. And so my recovery has kind of felt like a startup. Um, it's taken a lot of dedication, a hell of a lot of hard work, constant assessing of like my mental and physical health, and obviously leaning on others who've gone before me and asking for their advice. I mean, I've, I've had a business go insolvent and... Without that happening, I don't think I would have had the grit and determination to keep going through this process. So I think it's really interesting that I suppose you're coming from a completely different viewpoint from me. You know, I, I had the kind of entrepreneurial thing embedded from being a startup founder and having to deal with difficult challenges. And I almost believe like if I hadn't had that, then when I broke my back, I wouldn't have I wouldn't have just been able to find from somewhere that kind of get up and go to draw on resilience and work my network try and find a way forward and to not give up which I think is very much a kind of startup spirit so yeah that's kind of how I would say I've been an advocate for how you deal with with disability but I think being an entrepreneur previously has really helped me that's brilliant and and, and that's the unique bit that we love about you Christiana because I don't have to speak for myself but to the audience that was in the auditorium on that day in December, we all were completely awed because you read a lot about these entrepreneurial traits, about leadership, about not giving up, but nowhere can you correlate it with a personal journey. You've beautifully correlated it. And I'm sure you are an inspiration to many. Oh, that's that's too sweet. But I, I mean, I, I must say, like, I think as a person, I've changed massively. You know, you are, you know, I was a kind of classic startup founder I had empathy obviously but I wasn't I was very much all about the tech bubble and I think when something like this happens to you whether it be you know you become disabled or whether you know there's a death or whether you go through any kind of life crisis I think you have a great deal of acceptance and even though perhaps you lose the old you you kind of learn to love the new you which sounds a bit cheesy but it's kind of true it's very true, and it's evolution in a in a beautiful, natural, organic way. So, you know, you're equality, diversity, and inclusion lead, which is a very, very interesting place to be. What made you take up that journey as EDI lead in UK Innovate? And what is your behind-the-scenes story? Thanks, Sarah. And I'd love to give some more details on that. And Christiana, thanks so much for sharing your journey. As you said, Sarah, it brings to life how that experience has changed your life and how your entrepreneurial spirit has made that journey different. I'm the programme lead at Innovate UK for um, EDI, as Sarah introduced. What I do is create targeted interventions to encourage underrepresented groups to get more involved in innovation and to be able to access the support and funding that's on offer via Innovate UK. We really started off on this journey back in 2016 and that was when we created the Women in Innovation programme because we found that only one in seven um, applications 
to our funding and support were led by women, which is approximately 14%. We need to do something about that to increase the diversity of the applicants in our pool and the businesses that receive funding from us so that they can grow and scale, create new jobs and deliver great and fantastic innovations. And many of them are solving some of the real key global challenges that we're facing at the moment. Really, that's where we started out. And that was four years ago now. EDI portfolio at Innovate UK and the work that we do has changed and evolved massively partly to do with the new connections and partners that we've made along the way. One of the things we did recently was commissioned a report to an organisation called the Innovation Caucus, really to find out and understand more what the barriers, opportunities and support needs are specifically for disabled innovators and black, Asian and minority ethnic innovators. I'll talk about some of the findings in there. Um, towards the end. But really, the reason for commissioning research like that is so that we can understand specifically what the barriers are. We have evidence to kind of show to the decision makers and the wider innovation ecosystem. 50% of disabled business owners in this research found that lack of access to capital is inhibiting their business growth. So what can we do? What interventions can we create to to improve that? Thanks, so. I had the opportunity to read the report from UK Innovate as well. Something that I found very interesting in the report that it identified that there is a significant potential for widening the participation in business innovation, approximately 35%. This was highest amongst the Black, Asian and minority ethnic group, followed by those with a disability and followed by the non-disability, non-BAME control group need a business case for diversity and inclusion at all so or by now are we happy or all in agreement that yes diversity and inclusion is the way forward I think it's a great question and one that I think we would all come up up against in our daily jobs and lives for us we quite often use figures from the business case to validate and show that the work we're doing is important because we work with businesses and we work with innovators who are developing new innovations, technologies and creating return for the UK economy. There's some research by McKinsey and company that gets used quite frequently, which shows that diversity and it specifically looks at gender and ethnic and cultural diversity on boards and executive teams that actually improves profitability and financial performance by up to 35%, which is really quite powerful figure. But equally, another camp or another argument, which increasingly you can resonate with and understand is that should we be actually making a business case at all? Should we be putting particular underrepresented groups into minority groups because actually if our systems and processes are good for innovators who have a disability they should be appropriate for everyone so it almost having to prove that there's a case to support disabled innovators or business owners with a disability might even sometimes take away from the fact that it's something it's imperative it needs to happen regardless of whether there's an economic incentive. So I don't think we've quite moved beyond the stage where a business case is no longer needed. But I think we should kind of check ourselves so that we're not always referring back to an economic imperative. Totally agree. 
And also it's about looking at things with a different perspective. None of our discussions these days or none of the business cases can be established without talking about the current pandemic. Christiana, I, I know we were talking earlier and you drew a very wonderful analogy on how the pandemic has been more of an enabler to amplify the importance of accessibility. That's something we'd like to hear more about. I think it's really interesting to think it took a global pandemic for the future of work to become more accessible. I mean, for me personally, with my disability, I'm always thinking of access. I'm always thinking, okay, how am I going to get there? Will I be in heightened pain when I get there? Will they have a lift? You know, do they have comfortable seatings with backs? I remember when I first rocked up at a WeWork and I thought, oh, this is just going to be an absolute nightmare because (laughs) they just had all bench seating. I was thinking, oh, how am I going to blend in here with my back? So I think what's been fascinating really is that it's taken this global pandemic to make things accessible for all. The acceptance of working from home because of it has somewhat leveled the playing field. Can't talk for all, but I'm hoping for other disabled people out there because there seem to be fewer limitations for me both physically and so psychologically so I've been able to apply for the type of advisory roles you know that perhaps I couldn't have previously done because I couldn't have done the travel you know and and interestingly enough so I was advising a business which is being born out of public.io and during the lockdown the team was saying on a zoom call that it's an amazing time to hire. Like they can hire nationwide. They can hire internationally for the best talent. It makes me think, why haven't we been doing this previously? Obviously, like the same Zoom fatigue and struggle with brainstorming virtually exists, but it's really opened the door to a wealth of opportunity. You know, another thing like with regards to startups, so from a funding point of view too, for one of the latest AI startups that I'm advising called Capture, it's founded by an amazing entrepreneur called charlotte backs we found that more investors and angels will take that 10 minute 20 minute call during lockdown because they're working from home they just have more time and also i'm making a documentary at the moment about pain management and virtual reality because i find it really helps my pain it's amazing like so many more doors are open and people are really willing to talk because you know they're not spending all that time on the daily commute so i'm not saying lockdown is is all well and great but i'm just saying that it has thrown open the doors for me and for others potentially with accessibility issues. I've also noticed it's easier to reach out to people because all the time that they were spending in the commute was really, in a way, not effectively utilised. Last year I was in Brazil, in Rio and Sao Paulo, and I noticed that a lot of areas were very, very accessible And even like if it'll be a small pub and there are two stairs, there will be a lift for that as well. And that kind of got me by surprise. The lady who was, you know, helping us out with the tour, I asked her that why is it that everything's so accessible? Because that's really cool. I've never seen it anywhere. And she mentioned uh, about a politician, Mara Gabrilli, in Brazil. She was the first person with a disability to be in the Brazilian Congress. And when it came to giving a speech, the route was not accessible. So she made sure that wherever possible, she could get things accessible so that the right voices can be heard. That was very inspiring. Wow, that is inspiring. Yeah, sometimes it does take that, doesn't it? It's a shame that it does take that. But often, you know, I remember one of the amazing people that used to work at Silicon Roundabout called Mary Williams. She's an incredible CTO. She said to me, you can't blame people for not knowing what they don't know. 
So, you know, if you don't know what you don't know, how can you possibly make changes? It is all about us making those changes. Changes are being made in the inclusion and diversification of, of our talent landscape. We have seen the spotlight sharpen firmly on getting women and black, Asian and minority innovators into tech and a more open approach to LGBTQ. Alongside continuing to drive those forward, it's kind of now time to further tackle our unconscious biases around hiring disabled talent and funding disabled founders. And so we kind of need to be asking the right questions. I don't have all the, all the answers, but we need to answer, ask certain questions to move the conversation forward. Mm. And I think I, I just add to that from, from Innovate UK and UKRI's perspective, something that we are doing much more of and trying to, from conversations like this, to find out better ways of engaging with innovators with disabilities and groups that are actually leading in promoting underrepresented voices and figuring out how we can work better together. You saying that out loud, you can't be blamed for things that you don't, that you don't know if everybody's but actually you can (laughs) and we should be that's one of the things that we're kind of consciously aware of is that working in partnership is so important for our equality diversity and inclusion work we are constantly looking for new perspectives bringing in new thoughts on how we can innovate our services to make them more inclusive and that's something that the report enabled us to do as well we convened a advisory group of experts from the innovation ecosystem so that included disability rights uk ysys leonard cheshire and we're going to have an ongoing conversation with all of those partners to see how we can bridge what the report found and what we actually do in action moving forward. Back to Christiana's point and your point, so I think it is so important to have both sides, like to have these role models like the politician or entrepreneurs coming up and saying what they need and also the funding bodies, the investors and the corporates to understand what the needs are. It's rocky, it's difficult because those who are going through these challenges are trying to acknowledge what special needs they need. And as Christiana mentioned, how to ask the right questions, because in a way, individuals who are suffering are kind of evolving on a daily basis and trying to understand what their needs are. On that, Christiana, what are some of the key asks that you think need to be addressed from a personal perspective and from a workplace entrepreneurial or organizational perspective? I would say like you start with what's the right terminology to use. Often we don't talk about things because we just don't know how to actually talk about it. And people get concerned about talking about disability. They get concerned when using the term black or BAME or Black, Asian and minority innovators. It's so hard, isn't it? Because it is so individual. Um, And so I think just being really honest and open about the fact that nobody really knows what terminology to use and it's going to be really personal. Is there something we can put in place? Almost, you know, a crowd agreed term. I I don't know. But in order for us to at least start discussing without being concerned whether we're going to be upsetting anybody. From a company point of view, Attracting and retaining disabled talent is key. 
again, you know, you don't know what you don't know, but what are the barriers in your hiring process? Like I often hear from startup founders kind of on the QT, I really, what I would love to hire someone with a disability, but is that going to cost me more money? And when I think back to one of my first startups, we were on the fourth floor um, in Hoxton Street of like a warehouse and it had no, it had no lift or a disabled loo. So it was just absolutely impossible to hire anybody with a disability. But, you know, as, as founders, we made that choice to take that rent, to take that place. So, you know, we have to kind of hold ourselves accountable to that. And also there's the whole process of getting a job. So it's unbiased for disabled people, like leveling the playoff playing field with data. You can advertise for these roles across networks, you know, on flexible job working sites like Capability Jane and Juggle Jobs. I've also been massively impressed by um, there's a technology called Applied, which removes unconscious bias. It uses like blind hiring software incredible female founder also came out of public.io you know you've really got to kind of think i think the quote is 90 percent of companies claim to prioritize diversity but four percent actually do how do we how do we you know make it so that 90 percent do how can we engage with companies like your startup your story ysys you know there's a new startup i've only heard about heard about this morning called um, the ism consultancy founded by ada paris you know, who are on a mission to help companies do this. You know, how can we get these companies engaging with these top startups and scale-ups and and tech companies? And I think also, you know, you talked about changing that unconscious bias among the leadership team. Like, how can we change the narrative and that unconscious bias across the team, the senior leadership and the board? Like, how can we fill more roles, more leadership roles and advisory roles, chair roles with people from underrepresented backgrounds. When it comes back to the, is it more expensive to hire a disabled person? How do we make it more accessible? Like there are access to work grants. The government should be promoting those and it should be an enabler. From my own personal point of view, it's really hard to be a voice for disability because it took me a long time to even come to terms with the fact that you know it took me it took me six months to even apply for a blue badge and then it took me three months to pick it up and the council actually rang me to say we're going to throw this unless you pick it up like I just couldn't deal with it we're all on our own personal journeys and you know I don't want to be tick boxed and I don't want to be I don't want to fill your quota you know I want to be judged based on my accomplishments, not to fill, you know, a disability quota. And because you don't know how that data is being used, whether it's been just being used as an aggregate or whether it's actually being used, you know, so that you do get that first interview, it's just very difficult to like kind of come to terms with. As a disabled innovator, you kind of have to see it as a positive and you have to see it as an enabler. I think it's 1.3 billion people across the world live with some form of disability together with their friends and their family they've got a spending power of eight trillion which is jaw-dropping it is difficult to come to terms with a disability and even harder to now be kind of a voice piece for it but I kind of think you know if you're going to be able to help another Christiana out there or another just one other person out there if something you know that I talk about or or put a spotlight on resonates or if there's some way I can help businesses better hire disabled people and large organizations like Innovate UK it's worth the psychological side of me coming to terms with my own disability and that's very very thoughtful share again it totally resonates with me 
Many a times when we are filling up these applications or forms, there is this ask, do you have a disability? It is so hard to take that box because the word disability, I think, is super stigmatized. And I'm somebody who has juvenile arthritis. So that means I have lived with this, but it doesn't come in naturally to me. I struggle to come to terms to take that box Personally, it would be so much better if organizations could advertise or share things like, oh, we have an occupational therapist, if that's something you want to talk about or have a conversation with. Or we have these special softwares, which are voice recognition, for example, Dragon, which I personally use and I think are great. But the way I came across these things was very indirect Or on days when somebody somewhere saw me majorly struggling and said, do you realize, you know, this is a possibility? So it'd be great to have like a directory of of things. So from your perspective, looking at the recent research from UK in a way, what are the key barriers which were identified. Mm -hmm. So actually to Sarah, your point and Christiana's point beforehand, one of the main barriers found was a lot of disabled innovators don't identify as disabled um, through their own decision and choice for some of the reasons that you've discussed before, which means that they don't disclose their status or their disability because of stigma or the way that they might be treated or Christiana, as you said, the perception of how your data is actually being treated and what decisions are being made based on that. Therefore, there's less of an opportunity to promote role models or innovators who have a disability to kind of show that there are there is that diversity out there and that that is an experience and that other people can come forward and ask for additional support. There was a YouGov survey that went out to um, two and a half thousand people, but there are also some focus groups with business owners and innovators who perceive themselves to have a disability. One of the key areas was actually financial instability and the start a business venture or if I decide to scale up my business how can I be certain that I'm going to have that financial stability to be able to do that? If I'm looking at grants or support from government, the findings that we found were that there needs to be more tailored support to help innovators who have a disability. Really interestingly, disabled um, innovators in the study were more likely to describe themselves as creative thinkers and inventive Almost 60% of disabled employees were interested in tackling disadvantage faced by disabled people in the UK. So I guess that's that theme of if if I have a disability and I have this experience, then I want to innovate a solution. One of our Women in Innovation award holders that we funded back in 2019 is innovating. um, Her business is called Ergo. It's a essentially a seat that has innovative air pressure sensors which helps to move around the posture of the wheelchair users and also it can be used for other types of seating as well to improve posture. One of the main motivators behind her business is that one she's her background is design, inclusive design is important to her but also that she suffered from scoliosis after an accident when she was younger. And a key driver is really creating a solution that can help improve lives of severely disabled children who can use that solution. And it helps to 
reduce the number of times they need to be kind of manually moved around and it just makes their lives more comfortable. The point there was that that personal experience can often drive innovative solutions and that if we support more of that and raise the profile of more role models and innovators who are doing amazing things like that, then that is what we're, that's what our programmes are are there to do. That's incredible Zoe. I mean I've come across so many amazing disabled entrepreneurs and one in particular, Suleiman Khan, who runs Disability he has like a collective of creatives who do amazing work for big agencies. In Silliman's case, it's, it's all about, you know, he is a creative and he has his own business, but he just happens to be a disabled creative. I have multiple businesses and advisory, but none of them apart from the documentary is about my unique disability. So it's interesting. Like, I think it's incredible, actually, when you do have a disabled innovator that innovates something that can help them and others. Because if you think about it, like from a PR point of view, it's really hard to be out there telling your personal story, you know, every single day. My hat really goes off to people that do that. To echo that, it it shouldn't have to be a responsibility to be a role model. Some of the key kind of barriers to growing your business and um, support needs are more acutely faced, especially if you have a disability or intersectionality comes into play, which is those on the line. It's where different identity categories come into play, um, like gender, race, age, ethnicity, marital status, and how they all interact and affect people's barriers, how that can affect their kind of access to opportunity. When I read the report, Zoe, I was so pleased to read it, really, because you'd, you know, you'd spoken to so many different people and had so many personal insights. And I think what often happens is people try and make change without actually speaking to the people that it's going to affect. I just thought it was such a massive step forward. And I know it's just the start as well of your endeavours. So um, I'm really excited to see kind of like the next stages of, of you know, what comes out of the report and how you're going to embed it in the organisation. Definitely. We'll certainly be having more conversations together. It's basically bridging what we found and all those great conversations that we've had and turning those into action. And one of the ways that we want to do that is um, carrying on the conversation with people, uh, disabled people who have personal experiences or organisations that are promoting disabled innovators and actually talking about how can we move this forward? Is it targeted programs with money specifically funding grant funding um, investor partnerships specifically for disabled innovators or are there specific areas in our processes and systems that we really need to go away and make specific changes to like our accessibility policy for example that's currently going undergoing an overhaul as one of the things that we're really conscious of as well as We don't want to um, have the same conversations with the same people all the time and to be using their time. Um, We need to create some more structure around how we can have these kind of engagements and discussions in a productive way that leads to outputs and that also people are being rewarded for their contribution. As you say, Christiana, we're at the start of the journey. There's much more to do. And while we advocate the fact that it's so important to recognize inclusion and concerns from people who are suffering from disabilities, I think, especially after this pandemic, and we've discussed this before, we can make a very strong case that, A, if you're a designer or if you're an architect, 
or if you are a technology entrepreneur, if you are building it by keeping into account inclusiveness, for example, if your design of the office space is such that it promotes flexibility of working, they are better prepared for crisis management. Organizations which are more inclusive or which are thinking about an all-rounded approach of getting things done, they really do have an edge. And technology especially is a major enabler of inclusiveness. For me, I think across the course of the years, I think that the fact that technology can be used as an enabler and the fact that it can somewhat take away the stigma, somewhat be an unbiased algorithm is a great one. I think you're spot on there. Like with design, it's absolutely key. I mean, it's almost laughable that I... 22 years ago, I <laughs> did my degree uh, in product design at Central St. Martins, and I was designing inclusive products for people with disabilities. And little did I know, you know, what would happen to me in later life, but it's fascinating to find that really the conversation has not moved on since then. I still lecture and mentor lots of university students at UAL, and you know, it's still not front of mind. My husband's an architect, and he was on the team that designed the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, the new stadium, and they won the most inclusive design award last year. I think by his association with me and what we've been through, it's given him a completely unique view of accessibility issues and he wanted to take me to that stadium. So it, he's going to damn make sure it's accessible. I think we just always have to think there is always someone in your family or friendship group or someone in your workplace that, that needs it to be inclusive. And therefore, just by designing things inclusively from the get-go will mean that, that you know, we make things accessible. We don't even have to be having this conversation. You're very lucky, Christiana. You're, you, you probably would be taken on a date stadium and uh, was especially designed by keeping you into account. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, very, very lucky. Yeah, and I think just, I completely agree with that. Um, Innovate UK got a £750 million of COVID-19 responsive funding to deliver out to businesses to help with the kind of both societal, environmental and economic impacts of the pandemic. The Equality, Diversity and Inclusion team have been involved with the programmes that are delivering that funding. You mentioned juggle jobs. I think they did actually receive some funding out of one of the calls and that rang a bell. When uh, businesses apply to us and innovators apply to us, we want to understand their ideas the impacts that the commercial opportunity the impacts their idea and innovation is going to have and something that we've done recently and will be doing more of is actually adding in question on equality diversity and inclusion into the application form so that we can understand what the approach is that the businesses that we're funding are taking when they're building their innovations are they being inclusive are they considering bias that there might be in their team and how that might kind of present itself in the products or services that they innovate. That, that is absolutely wonderful. I would love to see that question on the to come on board. I'm loving the way the conversation is going. But in the interest of time, Christiana, if I were to give you a chance to share some parting thoughts on some of the recommendations for organizations or policymakers, what would be your top two recommendations? Simple, really. So I'd say keep talking and keep listening to each other. 
how do we seize this untapped talent resource? And how do we reduce the perceived risks like associated with hiring disabled talent? And as you said, um, sorry, we've got to challenge our unconscious biases, which are deep-rooted. First off, perhaps let's change the name disabled, and then that will change the, the conversation. I'm not, I don't love the word disabled, I've got to be honest. And the disabled people that I've met on my journey are some of the most resilient, smart, forward-thinking, driven, and, well, creative individuals. And because I suppose we, we apply that same problem-solving way of working every day of our lives, it's just so important to look at the whole flow of either starting a business or getting a job as a disabled person. You know, how can we level that playing field? It's incredibly hard to be a voice, and I've said it a few times in this call, but for underrepresented group of people. Even I, I worry that I'm going to say the wrong thing. I worry that my personal experience does not reflect that of everyone else. And I worry that I'm going to be judged. But as Sarah, you said at the opening, we've just got to keep talking and sharing our own unique experiences for that one person that we might be able to help. Indeed. And we need to create that safe space to be able to say what we want to not be judged. They, they say brands are all about perception and just the brand disability. At least we can say for the two of us, it's not resonating with us. So thank Sweet. you, Christina. So from your side, I highly respect the position and the place where you are in because it takes a lot of empathy and a lot of courage to be able to be where you are and be able to try and understand what the concerns are or how to make a space more inclusive. From current research on UK Innovate and from your experience, what are the go-forward recommendations for inclusive innovation? Well, first of all, thank you. I, I appreciate that. But I think the, the much more valuable insights come from both of you and hearing from your experiences. But I'm so happy to be here and to be able to connect. We're taking those findings and these relationships that we've built with organisations throughout this piece of work and taking those forward to discuss and bring in experiences and work that other organisations are doing. And um, for example, at Leonard Cheshire and YSYS and Capital Enterprise to think about tangible actions we can implement to ensure that all of our support and funding is more inclusive. I know this is a contentious topic because we, we were talking about data earlier, but part of it is actually ensuring that we collect robust data on people who apply to our funding and support so that we can understand what the baseline is and whether there are any real significant barriers on the broader scale. We have thousands and thousands of applications from people and businesses all across the UK and understanding that bigger picture and where there are those key barriers moving forward is important for us. Working in partnership is another key step and also working across government as well. So on the advisory group, there was a representative from Business Energy and Industrial Strategy, uh, which is our sponsoring department, and also from the Department for Work and Pensions. And one of the key recommendations in the report is that we need to do more to work across the government to understand where policies can be changed it's the start of a journey, definitely. There'll be much more coming um, from both Innovate UK and the Knowledge Transfer Network in the next few weeks around events where we're taking this conversation forward. I'd love the audience to participate in, in that if this is of interest. 
That's a lovely conclusion line. That's the start of a journey. Indeed, it's the start of a journey. And uh, this is one of those dialogues where I would personally love to be more involved with both of you and have more conversations around it as a go forward. So a big thank you. It's time to design, create and build an inclusive club. If you enjoyed this dialogue, Please do share this podcast episode as a care gift with your friends, family and wider network. Do leave us some feedback in the comments section below and follow us on Instagram at the Winning Side Podcast. Till then, ciao ciao.